all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. We're taking your calls during this hour concerning any issues dealing with your health or any kind of questions that you might have about your health or the health of someone else. You can reach us this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 If you're not able to call and you still have a question or a comment, you can always send those to remedy at mpbonline.org. Also, we'd like to mention that we archive all of our programs here on MPB uh, Think Radio. So you can go to MPB Online and search for Southern Remedy. Uh, You'll see archived programs in the past. Now, a lot of people aren't able to listen to the entire hour. Maybe you'll come in late on a discussion or a question that you might have about things. Uh, We usually try to get those up within a day or so. So check that out on the website, and it's a great way to stay up on all the issues that we talk about right here on MPB Think Radio. Hope everybody is having a great early June. Boy, summer is here in the South, right? It looks like uh, we had way too much nice weather in May. Uh, Love that. Love the low humidity. Uh, Still got a couple of days like that. I know this weekend there was uh, Sunday, I believe, the humidity only got up to about 40 or 50 percent. Uh, but, um, man, it's here. You can feel it um, when I walk outside every day, both the heat and the humidity. Uh, be careful out there. We've been inside. A lot of us have been uh, sort of sequestered away. I uh, want to remind people that there are dangers of getting out and uh, uh, in the heat that you need to be aware of. I have really enjoyed seeing more people outside. It seems like this has been a great time for people to reconnect with physical activity, and I'd encourage you to keep that up. Keep up maybe some changes that you've had through this that uh, are designed to to better your health, whether that's in what you've changed on what you're eating or your physical activity. Do want to remind our listeners that if you do want to call in, nobody likes to be that first caller, but let me encourage you to be that first caller or at least call early. We always have a little bit more time in the first half of our program to discuss the issues that you have. Uh, We've got a lot of callers in the latter half of the program, and we aren't always able to uh, dedicate as much time as we would like. So encourage you, if you have a, a question out there, don't think you're the only person either that has that question. There's probably at least five other people out there that uh, probably have the same question. That's one of the things we like about those questions on Southern Remedy. Do have a couple of uh, emails that we'll go to first. Uh, the first is a question about skin cancer risk. So the uh, emailer says that, um, They are uh, a light-skinned individual, Caucasian, uh, who has been worried about skin cancer for the last couple of years. They've been seeing some some darkened spots that have been coming up on their arms and on their face, uh, and they're worried that this might be a type of skin cancer. What's the best way 
to deal with that. Oh, and they did say that they were um, that they were 55 years old. Uh, what's the best way to deal with this? And how can I make sure that I'm seeing the right people? I'm a little confused about whether my primary care physician can take care of this, or should I go see a dermatologist? Sincerely, uh, Southern Remedy listener. So great question about skin cancer. Uh, skin cancer tends to be something that is uh, totally related to the amount of sun damage or sun exposure that we have. It is cumulative, and meaning that you start when you're born, and the more sun damage that you get to your skin, the more chance or risk there is of you getting skin cancers. Now, all of us, no matter if you're lighter skinned, dark skinned, uh, if you're African American or other uh, races that are, have more pigmented skin, all of us can get skin cancer at some point. And again, the older you are, the more sun damage you have. Those are the two ways that really um, contribute to this. And this is because our skin really is one of the organs, it's, it's considered an organ in the body uh, that has a really rapid turnover. So we're constantly making new skin cells and any organ in the body that produces uh, cells at a high rate is more uh, risky to get uh, types of cancers just because of that increased cell turnover. Um, and the, the main factor here with sun exposure is of course UV light. So ultraviolet light is one of the main things that can damage the DNA in those cells to the point where they mutate and uh, turn into skin cancers. Um, what is currently recommended, particularly for lighter skin individuals, is to have a screening. You can do that at home and you can also do it by, with a medical professional of someone just looking at your skin that's trained to do, to do that. Now, if you're at home and your spouse or significant other or yourself can look, don't forget those areas that you can't look at in the mirror. Uh, uh, there are some of those areas that you need somebody else to look at. And just look for sort of the ABCs, and those are asymmetry in a, a lesion, something that is like a mole uh, or a raised spot. Moles can be pigmented or non-pigmented, uh, but the asymmetry is the border of it. You know, is it a smooth border? Is it asymmetric and not like a, a sort of a circular or oval type lesion on your skin? The second is border. So is that an ir irregular border? Uh, is it an in distinct border to that. Those are some of the warning signs that you might need to get that checked out sooner rather than later. Uh, the third is color, so particularly a color change. Certainly there are many different things on the skin that are benign uh, that are different colors. So again, those could be non-pigmented, uh, which is sort of the natural skin tone, uh, or they can be pigmented. They can be red, they can be brown, they can be black but we're really talking here about changes in that color and then diameter. So the, the size of it is things grow larger, they're more likely to be types of skin cancer. So if it's over um, usually about a half a centimeter and a centimeter is about the width of most people's uh, small fingernail. Um, so if it's much larger than about half that width, then you need to get that looked at. Or if there is a a change in that diameter over time. So screening is very important. There's certainly a lot of things that are common. Two of the most common sort of precancerous uh, skin damage lesions are what we call actinic keratoses. So that is sort of these scaly lesions that you get. I've got a couple of these already at, at age 50 on my skin. Um, and they can be sort of, a, you can almost feel them sometimes a lot better than you can see them. But it's sort of a 
non-pigmented raised area. It might even be a little bit lighter colored. It looks like almost something's flaking off. And uh, again, these can be precursors to types of skin cancer, particularly squamous cell can skin cancer. The other thing is a seborrheic keratosis. And these are sort of those pigmented waxy lesions. When you feel them, they feel sort of waxy. They're usually raised. Um, and that's very common. Both of those are common. Plenty of other things that you can get on your skin. Uh, of course, the most common skin cancers tend to be squamous cell skin cancers and basal cell skin cancers. They occur in different places, but again, places that have much more uh, exposure to the sun uh, and are at right angles to the sun. So, for instance, a basal cell, common places are the nose or the uh, lips or the, um, the eyelids or the bottom of the eye. Those are um, on the cheeks. Those are all places that have the most, some of the most uh, exposed areas. And then, of course, melanoma, which is, is our deadliest skin cancer, um, certainly way too common. Uh, it does have a predilection for some families. Uh, if your family has, has anybody in it that has uh, melanoma, it's a great idea to go ahead and go to a dermatologist to get screened uh, for those. So for the general population, check yourself out notice anything, get, get some help from somebody at home to look at those areas that you can't easily see. And then uh, probably as you get older uh, in your 40s or 50s, you need to be letting your uh, primary care physician take a look at that. And then they can make decisions on whether or not you need to see a dermatologist for individual things. Some of those precancerous things they can even take care of in the clinic. Uh, a lot of times they can be frozen off or you can use some other agents. So that's a sort of quick synopsis about skin cancer. This is Southern Remedy with uh, Dr. Jimmy. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with you this morning, taking your questions and calls about any kind of issue that you might be having related to your health. Maybe that's new medication. Maybe that's new diagnosis. Maybe it's a diagnosis that you quite uh, haven't gotten yet. Or maybe it's something that your physician uh, made the correct diagnosis and got you on track with what you need to be doing, but you just have some more questions that you'd like to call us this morning. We can help out with those types of questions or any other issues that you might have. You can reach us right now at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 
been talking about skin cancer and uh, lots of other questions out there. Kevin, you had a question uh, this morning for us. That's right. I figured I would break the ice this morning and get the first question in. <laughs> uh, you know, you talked about how people have been more active, and my friend and I have done that. We've been uh, decided that we're going to start taking a lot of hikes. So uh, last weekend, we went down to Paul B. Johnson State Park outside of Hattiesburg and did the nature trail. Uh, but somewhere along the way, I think I got a bug bite. It looks like it's a mosquito bite, but I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it's an itchy bug bite. The interesting thing that it, to me in the question is that sometimes uh, it itches and it's driving me crazy and you scratch, 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 scratch. Other times, like right now, it's not itching whatsoever. So two questions. First of all, when something like that itches and you start to scratch it, does that make it continue to itch or itch more? And the other thing, as I've noticed, it seems to be itchy after I wake up. And so does going to sleep and waking up have anything to do with whether you're itchy or not? Yeah, itchiness is, uh, you know, something certainly common to a lot of different things. Uh, when a bug bites you, whether that's, uh, you know, a mosquito or something else that, that bites or stings, does a couple of different things. Now, the bites that mosquitoes have, their saliva uh, is, is meant to sort of not let blood clot. So it sort of thins that out. And there's some other sort of inflammatory things that can happen other than just sticking your skin if you scrape up against something you can have the same thing happen though if you think about it you know a lot of plants if you have a if you're out in the yard and you scrape up against something maybe you're tending your rose bushes uh, they can cause quite an inflammatory response that as the body seals that up and as it uh, tries to repair that damage that was been, that was done it does a number of things and there's a lot of cells that come to the area in the blood and a lot of those cells uh, they release certain things to increase the inflammation in the area so that you can better um, better heal that up unfortunately they do cause a lot of side effects so uh, swelling is one of them itchiness is another one uh, there are histamines that are released particularly in allergic situations so if it's an irritant or even an allergy to whatever that bit you or you just got scraped with that can be something that can sort of infiltrate that area. Uh, a lot of other uh, chemical su substances are released in the area. There are interleukins that white blood cells uh, um, release uh, that can cause a lot of these uh, different changes. So when you get the itchiness, what do you do with it? Certain times a day, it can be more or less. A lot of that has to do with just local irritation. So scratching whatever is causing you to, to itch uh, that may alleviate that right then and there. But if it's something like a bug bite, the more you do that, the more you're going to activate those cells underneath the surface to sort of release more of those things. So sometimes it's more helpful to put, particularly if it's swollen around the area, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's more advantageous to put something that's like cold, like a cold compress, some ice on that. That can help. Uh, incidentally, you can't see this, but since Kevin mentioned this, I am like scratching all over the place. There's the other issue uh, when somebody starts talking about a rash or something that's itching. We're, you know, scratching all over the place. Everything on your body itches in one way or another. Um, so try not to scratch it too much. That that can be, you know, something that you can do. This is, uh, of course, really hard for kids uh, to do that. So it's, uh, it's, it's sort of challenging. Uh, some of the other things that you can do, you can actually rub the skin that's closer to your body, um, uh, right up, right adjacent to that. So for this is a sort of a trick that you trick the nerves that are picking up those signals of, to scratch that area. 
you're sort of uh, you're you're flooding those nerves with other stimuli just above it. So sometimes even just rubbing the area right above that, closer to your body, uh, that can can prevent that area from itching as much. The cold helps too. And then of course there are some medications that you can uh, you can use topical ones that you don't necessarily absorb in your skin if it's just one bite or a couple of them. You can get some over-the-counter hydrocortisone cream. You can just dab it on those little spots, and that can help. It penetrates down into the surface layers and can help decrease that inflammation and the itching. And then if it's really, really bad or you somehow you went out in the swamp uh, at uh, off the trace and you got uh, just totally inundated with all, a ton of mosquitoes and hundreds of bites, uh, at that point, uh, I probably would say, you know, if you just don't want to scratch yourself to death, uh, to do like an antihistamine, so something like Zyrtec, Benadryl. Benadryl is more shorter acting. The longer acting ones are Allegra, Zyrtec, or Claritin. They're over the counter now. You can get those without any prescription. Uh, you don't need to use some of the decongestant ones, particularly if you have other medical problems. But that's basically why they itch because of those substances in them, and they do itch more the more you scratch it because you're stimulating those cells to release those inflammatory uh, compounds. But it's there for a reason. Uh, there's some ways to get around it though. And uh, certainly that's another thing we need to talk about as we move into summer is the risk that's involved with lots of insects that are around. We certainly still have a lot of other viruses other than corona that are going around that are spread uh, by mosquitoes. Coronavirus is not spread by mosquitoes, but uh, certainly there are other things out there uh, that you need to be aware of. West Nile, we still see sporadic cases of that in the state. There's other things that can be transmitted by mosquitoes uh, in the south. So be aware of that and uh, uh, use insect spray appropriately. Try to, you know, wear appropriate clothing that's lighter colored. Um, stay, um, you know, the, the times that you see mosquitoes usually early in the morning, later in the afternoon. Of course, that's when you sort of, that's the cooler part of the day that you're doing things. Uh, still scratching out here uh, via Skype, so uh, just to give everybody that mental picture. This is Southern Remy. This is Dr. Jimmy. If you'd like to call us this morning, we've got open lines right now. You can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can always send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Got another email question, and this is about bowed legs. So our emailer says, I have a 13-month-old who started walking at around nine and a half to 10 months of age. He is otherwise totally healthy, but he certainly has a lot of bowed legs, uh, bowed leg problems, sorry, uh, as he's walking. Sometimes he'll trip and fall, uh, which I understand is part of a normal toddler's walk but I'm just concerned that perhaps there's more going on to the bowed leg, leg uh, problem. Uh, I have a cousin who has a toddler about the same age and she, her daughter uh, does not have this bad a problem. What do I do? The pediatrician is saying that this is normal, but I just wanted to make sure. So bowed legs is very common. Uh, it's one of the normal developmental uh, things that happen in babies over time to their lower extremities. And if you think about bones, they grow at growth plate areas. So these typically are at the ends of bones. So if you think about the legs, you have a femur, which is the big bone in the top of the leg, and then past the knee, of course you have a kneecap, and then below that you have two bones, the tibia and the fibula. 
And all three of those long bones, they have growth centers at the edges. So it can be at the proximal end and the distal end of each one of those bones. And that's where you're laying, actually laying down more bone over time. Now, because of the different forces on that uh, over time in the first couple of years of life, especially, those bones have different shapes. The more we put pressure on bones, the more that causes them to take different shapes. So when you're born, uh, bowed legs, the fancy Latin term for that is genuverum, V-A-R-U-M. So that just means bowed legs. Uh, the opposite of that is uh, genuvalgus. So that is the not knees uh, type position. So at birth, normally if you look at a newborn's legs, they're bowed a little bit. They're in sort of a varus um, 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 orientation. And that's just because of, that's the way it is. So as they grow, uh, that actually gets a little worse over time, uh, particularly when they start walking. So if you think about that, you're putting more pressure for the first time on those legs uh, as they start to walk. Uh, so uh, it tends to be worse as they continue walking for a few months. And uh, those who walk at an early age, so certainly nine and a half, ten months would be a little bit on the early side for walking. That's going to put you at a little bit more risk for bow legs. Uh, usually that's not a problem. It does get better with time, but that's, that is something that we see. So the earlier that the, uh, a child would walk um, during that first, uh, um, you know, first uh, year of life or a little bit after that, they're likely to have a little bit more bowing in their legs. So that gets better usually over 18 to 24 months, and it, they can be quite bowed during that time. Um, we look for symmetry too. So is it one leg versus the other? Because that might prompt us to do some some other testing, uh, but usually that's going to get better by about two years of age. Then from two years to four years of age, most kids get a little not need during that, tier, uh, that period of time. Uh, and that again, that's just as that bone is growing and they're gaining height uh, in their legs, that's, that's the normal uh, uh, orientation of those bones and uh, to each other. And then somewhere between four years of age and seven years of age, you get to sort of the final uh, orientation, certainly, certainly not the final height, but the orientation where that tends to be a little bit, um, um, uh, it tends to be a little bit um, bowed leg uh, or to neutral. Everybody's a little bit different. Male, female is a little bit different too, but all that should be about what it's going to be by age seven. So if you're concerned, certainly your pediatrician or your primary care physician is going to be looking at that as part of a normal developmental screen. That's one of the reasons why you need to go to the physician um, so that they can look at that over time. They may do some measurements in the office. They certainly would want to see the child walking. Um, there can be some in-towing, so some rotational uh, aspects of that, which may make it look a little bit uh, more pronounced. But usually, Again, that they're going to know exactly when to get x-rays. You don't necessarily have to x-ray every child with uh, bowed legs or not knees. Uh, a lot of times we can just look at it in the office and make a determination on that. And then beyond that, there's there are a couple of medical conditions. Blunt's disease is one. Uh, there are a couple of orth orthopedic uh, conditions that can uh, put you at risk for having bowed legs or not knees. Uh, but again, those are rare this bowed legs is the most common uh, physiologic and the most common complaint that pediatricians have 
uh, about their children, most common orthopedic complaint. So again, part of normal development. So if it's your first child, certainly that's something to expect. Uh, everybody's different. Everybody has sort of a different variation. I've seen kids that had extremely bowed legs, but did just fine. They went on to run track or they did other sports and they didn't have any problems with that. They can be a little bit more clumsy. Of course, we call them toddlers during that time because they toddle around and they do fall down. So you need to keep that in mind. And they look like they've been beat up a lot too, just from all those bruising. So sometimes uh, the more active ones, we have to reassure families that uh, they're just gonna look like that. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. I'm Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, answering your calls and questions, answering some emails too this morning about any kind of health-related question you might have. The number to call this morning is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. And the email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. Let's go to a, our first caller on the phone, uh, Donna from Jackson. Good morning, Donna. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Okay, thank you for, this is personal, but thank you for talking about the bow leg. Because I have 57, and I've always felt ashamed of how I look. And you just make me feel better and feel like I'm not weird. Oh, Donna, thank you for sharing that. I'm going to give you just a, a little bit of time just to take some deep breaths because I'm hearing how emotional this is for you. Uh, because this I'm is better. such a common thing. Oh, okay. Because this is such a common thing, you're right. I mean, a lot of people, anything that changes, you know, unfortunately, how we look uh, right. and the differences right. between us sometimes is such a target, particularly when we're younger, uh, oh, of people boy. making fun of us. Oh, it was so hard. Oh, growing up was hard. Donna, did you have any kind of like corrective surgeries, or did you have any no, kind of things that nothing. you were that were? Pro- nothing Go ahead. Done. No, nothing done. Yeah, and and now you know I'm that's the other. My mother key, has key. them, and my her mother has them. I don't know about my great grandmother. Yeah, and they're certainly common and can run in families like that. That's another question I will usually ask if there's other family okay. members that have had it. Um, you know, now there, there are a lot of orthotics. Those are things that you can wear that can sometimes realign. 
uh, things. Surgery is one of those things that sometimes, particularly when you're younger, you can do, although there no, are you know, some complications. No. Oh, I'm going to stay how I am and uh, keep feeling better about myself. People aren't as mean as they used to be. You still yeah. get looks and some people still make little comments, but I'm better than that. So Good. Good for you. Now, now that's, uh, that's actually, you, you sort of stole what I was going to say. Um, you know, the yeah. uniqueness of everybody is very, um, is very important. And it, in some ways, it can be a strength uh, to other people. And Donna, I, I do thank you for calling because there, I, I guarantee you there are some people that are out there that needed to hear this today uh, or I they know, know somebody that needed to, to hear it. it. I'm so glad you had this uh, on the show because there are a lot of us out here like this. I mean, some of the people who aren't legged are idiots. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> I, I'd rather have this small issue than be like some other people. But I won't take up any more of your time. I just had to call and thank you so much. You have made my day. Well, you, you're welcome, Donna. Thank you for calling and thank you for sharing that with us. That certainly... Uh, you know, as, as personal as that can be, we do appreciate that. We appreciate you listening. You have a good day. That's so, I, you know, I do want to take a, um, I've heard, or certainly we've talked about things like this on Southern Remedy. I know some of our other programs have too. I've heard Susan Buttress talk about this on Relatively Speaking. And it is so easy, uh, unfortunately, for people to make fun uh, or draw attention to those who aren't like themselves. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's up to everybody to sort of um, call that out when it happens. You can have allies uh, in situations like that. They can say, you know, that's not right, that's wrong. Uh, it's, it is, uh, you know, sort of our human nature sometimes to make fun of that, uh, particularly if we don't feel good about ourselves. Um, unfortunately, in a lot of ways, our culture can re, uh, can influence that. It can reinforce that. Um, and, you know, we certainly are, are obsessed with, um, with everybody who is perfect. And I guarantee you, there is not a person out there is perfect, who is perfect. And if they are, they don't stay that way for long. Things change over time about how you look and your, your body, uh, composition and, and morphology. So, I do appreciate Donna for uh, for calling. Certainly, we're here at Southern Remedy to, you know, just to to talk about issues like that that can affect a lot of people. Uh, and uh, man, so glad that she called in. As I said, there's probably other people out there who have either dealt with that themselves or they um, or they're dealing with something similar. So um, hang in there. Uh, find some uh, find some allies. And, uh, and that can uh, that you can talk to. Um, don't feel like you're the only one that that has that uh, that issue with other people. And as Donna said, sometimes there are just stupid people out there that want to do that. Um, and we certainly want to you know want to support those who who are different um, and are unique uh, in their own way. So uh, we're going to go to Edward in Hines County. Good morning, Edward. Good morning, sir. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks for calling. 
Uh, I just got one comment. Did, have, did you see the movie Network? I did not. I saw, I mean, I've okay, seen well, it, but I haven't, like, watched the actual movie. Well, the, the main line is, I'm not, I, I don't know if I can say this on there. He says, I'm mad as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore. All I've got to say about that lady, I wish I was her big brother. I swear <laughs> to God. I sure, I wish I was her big brother, because I, w- I would take care of anybody that would insult her or, or demean her and I'm I'm mad about a lot of things now. If you can imagine what's going on in the country, but picking on some little girl, uh, I, I just couldn't stand for it. That's all. That's all I've got to say. And and y'all have a good day. Thank you, Edward. Thank you for those comments. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Uh, we definitely need uh, to stand up for things that we know are, are injustice in a lot of different areas. Um, I, and I can tell you as a physician, uh, particularly, you know, in seeing pediatric patients uh, as well as adults, there are deep rooted things that happen in childhood that can hang with you for the rest of your life. Uh, whether those are phobias or fears, uh, they can contribute to your mental health uh, over time. We need more people like Edward who can stand up and say, no, that's wrong and call that out. And I think, I think we do have people out there. Um, certainly, as Edward mentioned, uh, this is a time in our state, in our country, uh, where we need to be looking to each other. You know, Mississippi's greatest resource is its people. I've always thought that. Um, certainly have a lot of other resources, but that is our greatest one. Uh, and as a native Mississippian, uh, I'm right there with all of y'all in, in saying that we need to we need to do that more. Uh, and in particular, for healthcare reasons, we do need to. Uh, to think about that and how these affect all of us um, at a time when, uh, you know, we're dealing with external factors that we can't control like COVID and uh, other issues. There's a lot of things that we can do to band together to, uh, to help each other out. So thank you, Edward, for those comments. Let's go to Carolyn in Canton. Good morning, Carolyn. Uh, hi, hi, thank you for having this program. And I, my heart goes out to that lady. Um, um, and I wish I had been a big sister. Uh, to, to keep people from um, poking fun at her. But I, I wanted to know this. I grew up at during a time um, when African-Americans were, uh, you know, not allowed to go to the hospitals and, and did have their own uh, physicians and, uh, you know, primary care physicians and specialists. So the health department uh, used to um, assess children and, uh and give um, and provide the parents with, uh, you know, corrective shoes. And um, I'm one of nine children, and three of us uh, either wore corrective shoes or uh, we uh, wore uh, the, uh, what do you call the things you put on your leg. Um, And um, so, but our parents, you know, they were through the health department. And I think that's one thing that sometimes prevents parents from uh, providing their children with uh, the appliances needed um, to, uh, you know, correct um, uh, things such as knock knees and uh, and uh, bow legs. If they don't, uh, you know, have their own physician and don't have the wherewithal, so. Uh, so again, my question is whether or not the health department uh, does still do that, uh, provide those. 
Yeah, and uh, Carolyn, there's a lot of resources now. You're right, you know, historically the health department was a great resource, particularly for those families who weren't able to afford those. Um, there's a lot more on the identification of these kids now, and not just through the health department. Certainly the health department has their own clinics where, you know, people seek care either for their kids or families. A lot of other, you know, pediatricians uh, in the state. One of the good things I think about, particularly about our state is, uh, you know, there's really not a, a good reason why a child can't have access to care, at least from resources. Like uh, there are a lot of issues with adults, but children uh, either through Medicaid uh, or through um, uh, commercial insurance or through uh, some stopgap insurances in between, there's, there's a lot of good resources that they have now that they didn't have in the past. So uh, the, in addition to that, in addition to what is available at the health department, though, there are other services now that we can do that. So typically, you know, we see in our clinic, we see patients with all those different resources uh, and can get them what they need. As you mentioned, a lot of the corrective equipment uh, for orthopedic problems, but it can be other things, too. Uh, now, we do have some challenges in the state. There are some uh, there are some uh, some services that unfortunately are either overwhelmed or underutilized. And we do have areas of the state that it's just really hard to have to find. Uh, someone who uh, who can see kids in that area. We have entire counties that have very little resources in the way of a physician who can see uh, children, either a family medicine physician or uh, a pediatrician uh, in that area. Uh, but we do have a lot more resources to get them that equipment. The health department is one. It's not the only one, though, and certainly if they're seen in a clinic uh, by a physician just for their routine um, uh, you know, normal well-child checks, uh, they would have access to those kinds of resources. Uh, I would mention, well, too, you know, we have, I'm sorry, go ahead. Okay, I was about to say, uh, yeah, in places like, um, you know, Jackson and some of the North Mississippi uh, uh, County, uh, you know, Chippewa Lounge and those, those are there are those services, but in lots of the Delta counties and some of the other counties, uh, the you know the clinics have closed, um, and those um, um, services are, uh, you know are not available, and uh, that yeah. that is a dire need. So. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Some of the federally qualified health clinics or the FQHCs in the state are also, you know, resources in addition to the health departments. Those are federally subsidized to provide care in those areas. Uh, telehealth has been an extension for some things. And then we have specialists like orthopedic, uh, pediatric orthopedic surgeons and others that are now reaching out into the state. I did want to mention that, too, that, that provide some of that resources. Caroline, you're right. I mean, there are a lot of different uh, geographic places that are, you know, we, we talk about food deserts sometimes. It's really hard to access good food. We have the same thing with healthcare. Uh, we're trying to bridge that gap in a lot of ways uh, to uh, try to provide those services. So thank you for pointing that out. If you heard something that we were just talking about, you know, reach out to those places around you and uh, see if they can provide some of those resources. Uh, as far as pediatric resources, too, our state uh, American Academy of Pediatrics chapter is one resource. I know they have a lot of good things going on to try to extend those services. 
I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your questions. A lot of good questions about advocacy, about some of the issues that can affect us most, uh, about access to care. Lots of good questions, as we always have on Southern Remedy. If you have a question, you can reach us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 If you do have a question, I certainly am sensitive to the emotional nature of some of these questions and how much it's personal to you, and you don't feel like you can do that on the air, please email us. We would love to hear your questions or comments. And we do try to address those personally, but we also try to address those on the air if we feel like um, that is more that is applicable to our, our larger um, uh, listening audience. Um, and then we do batch those from time to time to do sort of a program that's dedicated to those emails. So that email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Dan, who's been patiently waiting in Meridian. Good morning, Dan. Uh, yeah, uh, thank you for taking my call. Um... A quick question on this COVID-19. I had a family member who was recently uh, recovered from COVID-19 and uh, she waited for 14 days and prior to return to work, they required her to take two tests. Uh, So on the 15th, 16th day, uh, she took the COVID test and it came back positive again. Um, Is is there some timeline in terms of when, once you get it, uh, is 14 days uh, just a random day, or have they done sufficient research? And then after the 14th day, most people should test negative. Uh, it seems to me that not only her, but some of her other uh, colleagues also test positive. So if you can kind of uh, enlighten us in terms of why she tested positive after 14, 15th day of uh, going through the process of recovering from COVID. Thank you for taking my sure. time. Sure, Dan. So that's a you know common question we have with COVID nineteen and sort of the testing and how what what kind of usefulness it is and uh, it does depend on the type of testing, which is probably the, the first thing I would say. Um, so there are two general types of tests. One, there are many of them out there, and there are many different uh, groups that have developed tests and and deployed those. Some of them are more useful than others at different times in the illness. The most common one that's used and the most useful one for first diagnosing COVID uh, is is an RNA test. So it's a uh, test that checks for the RNA of the virus itself in uh, the respiratory passages. 
So uh, respiratory passages in the back of the th uh, throat and in the nasal passages in the lungs tend to be the highest. Uh, it tends to be after uh, symptoms develop, although you can test positive before that. But usually after symptoms develop, which is somewhere between four and five days on average after exposure with the illness, that's going to be the optimal time that's going to be positive. Um, you do have to do it correctly, um, so that, but it, and it is a nasty, uh, nasty um, uh, swab to get in the back of your nose. Uh, there's also a, a mouth swab that you can do as well. Now, the other types of testing are antibody tests, and they are less um, sensitive and specific. Uh, so they test for the antibodies that the body normally produces. There are two general types. There's an IgM, uh, and then there's an IgG. The IgM would be what the, the body develops to an illness first, and then IgG uh, comes later. Um, so without knowing exactly what tests they had, there may be some reasons why even after 14 days, the virus, uh, the test that checks for the RNA of the actual virus, uh, may have been positive. Severity of illness is one. So if in the patients who have a more severe case of COVID-19, they may have a longer prolongation of that virus in their tissues for longer periods of time. Certainly if they, what we know is that if they've been in the ICU or they've been hospitalized, they're going to harbor that virus for longer periods of time. Usually for most people, after that 14-day period, uh, that's going to be undetectable. And for most of them, particularly if they don't have any symptoms anymore, they, um, they're, they're going to test, uh, uh, probably test negative. Um, but really, you don't have much of a, you know, you don't really have much of a, um, a hard and fast way of, of knowing if they're going to test positive. If, if they're asymptomatic, I know a lot of businesses have their own protocols, but generally speaking, if they're asymptomatic for uh, 72 hours, no more symptoms, then they're pretty safe to say that they're not going to be uh, infecting other people. So unfortunately, that may be a little bit different for that business. And certainly if they're doing the antibody test, of course, they're going to be positive because that person has had the illness. So that's sort of the, the nuts and bolts about testing and why they might be positive uh, beyond that 14 day period. Uh, we've got about a minute and a half. We're going to try to go to uh, Evelyn in Madison. Good morning, Evelyn. Hello, I'm Brandon, not Madison. Oh, I'm so sorry, Brandon. <laughs> All right. Uh, my, what I was going to say anything about was, uh, well, off that subject, but my, I had a daughter that was born with bow legs, and later on, when she was older, somebody, I heard on some doctor said there was no exercise that would cure that, but we found hers when she was tiny, and we did exercise it away. By the time she was walking good, she wasn't bow-legged anymore. Yeah, that's, uh, so, you know, just a comment about that. So if you find it when it's early like that, again, that's a normal part of development. Some kids will have it more than others. It is true you can't exercise it away, but certainly that helps and you shouldn't limit that in any way. But it does get better in 90 plus percent of the individuals that have it, even if it's sort of moderate to severe, um, that's something that, that will get better on its own. So important to bring up, but also I would caution people out there, don't think that, you know, if your physician says, hey, you should see an orthopedic surgeon about this, if not just to follow it to maybe do something else as an intervention, you do need to, to you know, take that seriously because exercise alone will not make those better. 
I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org.